I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. My guest today is Dr. Vamik Volkan, psychoanalyst, psychiatrist, professor emeritus, and pioneer of political psychology. Discussing his newest book, Large Group Psychology, Racism, Societal Divisions, Narcissistic Leaders, and Who We Are Now. Rendering Unconscious is also a book. Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics, and Poetry. Available from Trapart Books, 2019. Please visit our publisher's website, www.trapart.net. You can support the podcast by visiting our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash vanessa 23 Your support is greatly appreciated. For more information, you can visit my website, drvanessasinclair.net, or the podcast website, renderingunconscious.org. Links to everything can be found in the text accompanying this episode. First of all, let me say to you that I have a curse. I, since I was a teenager, I keep writing things. <laughs> so <laughs> I keep writing books. But um, this book, um, I wrote the book because I live in Charlottesville, Virginia. Charlottesville, Virginia is a very historical, if you are talking about history of the United States 200 years, uh, it's a historical city. This is a city of Thomas Jefferson and his Monticello. And uh, so uh, in um, 2017, August, um, I think October, um, white supremacists and neo-Nazis came to the city and even one day they were killed. And I wrote many things about international relations, politics, and so on, but this event made me feel very sad. And once more, I wanted to write a book describing my observations and findings in the international arena and why there are societal divisions and why some people do horrible things like that. I'm a Cypriot Turk, born on the island of Cyprus. And um, I came to United States after I finished medical school in Ankara, Turkey, because at the time Cyprus was a British colony. And if I worked in Turkey, I could not get money because I was not legally Turkish, I was British. 
And I did not want to open a clinic and work as a physician on the island because everybody in my family uh, is a teacher. I wanted to teach. So there was a thing called brain drain, meaning in America, would you believe it, in 19, uh, late 1950s, early 1960s, they did not have enough physicians. So they were collecting physicians. I came to America, and long story, I stayed here. I became a psychiatrist. I became a psychoanalyst. And then in 1979, uh, that Egyptian president, Anwar Sadat, went to Israel. And at the Knesset, he declared that 70% of the problems between Arabs and Israelis is due to psychological reasons. He spoke of a psychological wall. And upon this, somebody in the United States, uh, uh, they asked American Psychiatric Association to go and investigate this. And I was a guinea pig at this American Psychiatric Association's Committee on International Relations and Psychiatry. Why I was a guinea pig? They had one Turkish and one Greek American. They wanted to watch us, the, you know, because America was a big up. And suddenly, um, I, to make a short story, I got involved in this process that American Psychiatric Association brought uh, Egyptians and then Palestinians and Egyptians and Israelis together. We had no idea. We had no, we were not diplomats. But suddenly, a new profession developed for me. I had no idea. And so, at the University of Virginia, where I was a young professor, I opened a center called Center for of the mind, Center for the Study of Mind and Human Interaction, Center for the Study of Mind and Human Interaction. But since, due to my experience at American Psychiatric Association Committee, I realized that at my center, I should not only have psychoanalysts, psychiatrists, psychologists, but I should have historians and diplomats and so on. This is how the center evolved. And I met uh, first time Soviets <laughs> who came to America because President uh, Reagan and Gorbachev were talking. And I met the Soviet psychologists and one thing led to another. I went to Soviet Union. And much later I learned that Gorbachev was interested to know what was happening, how he could talk to Americans and so on. America didn't pay any attention. But because uh, Soviet paid attention, my center became, uh, we got grants or so on. And then Soviet Union collapsed. And next thing I know, my center and my members of my center, we were going all over the world 
bringing together uh, Baltic Republic representatives and Soviets so that they could have a peaceful war, so to speak. And then Yugoslavia collapsed and Saddam Hussein went to Kuwait and then blah, blah, blah. So I had no idea what was my new profession. It is basically called political psychology. But there are many political psychology divisions now in many universities. And sometimes I'm invited to go and visit them. Would you believe it? None of them teach what myself and my center did. Ours, uh, we went there also having a psychoanalytic identity. So it took me so long time to realize that what I was doing uh, is this. I'm trying to develop a large group psychology in its own right. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. We go back to Freud, of course, as a psychoanalyst. He described uh, large groups, the church, the army, and so on. But he was a discoverer. My God, discovered psychoanalysis, uh, unconscious, and so on. He discovered it's complex. So he his focus was what a large group means to the individual. Uh, I like to make metaphors, like uh, imagine a big pole, and people, pole is a leader, and people around the pole dancing, maypole, you know what I mean, holding hands and identifying with each other, but everything, you know, the pole is at the center. And um, so most of the time, psychoanalysts wrote about large group psychology from this point of view, what large group means to an individual. But because we were exposed to enemy group representatives talking, because we brought enemy representatives to talk uh, every three months, four days, for years, and they became representatives of their large group identities. We began to think that uh, we need to make, make a tent. Oh, but there's a tent and people under the tent. And not only to study relationship with the pole, but study relationship with the tent cover because everybody is under this cover and it's large group identity. So you can imagine that when we are growing up, we develop our own identity. I'm wearing the cloth, that's my identity, and meaning internal sense that I sense about myself. Well, I'm sleepy, I'm different, um, and I'm happy, I'm different, but it's my sense of identity. But also, I am under a canvas of a tent with thousands or millions of other people whom I never would know, but they share the same canvas. So my my identity, personal identity, is is, is linked with my large group identity, and I I share sentiments with 
thousands of other people, millions of other people, I share special historical sentiments or religious sentiments. So my description of a large group is as follows. Thousands or millions of people, whom most of them will never meet in a lifetime, sharing the same sentiments, mostly historical sentiments. They can be ethnic groups, they can be national, nationalistic groups, uh, they can be political groups, they can be religious groups, or in, in, in everyday language can be, we are Apache, we are Jewish people in Lithuania. Why I mentioned Lithuania because I was in Lithuania just recently. Uh, and uh, Lithuanians are still talking about their um, separation from Soviet Union and what happened to them, the undigested past. But suddenly, Lithuanian Jews came and they described what happened to them when Nazis were there. And it connects them. So many Jewish people in Lithuania disappeared. So Jewish people in Lithuania have a shared sentiment with the same history. So as a psychoanalyst, my profession is as follows. I'm developing a large group identity in its own right, meaning I see a large group with its own history, like when a patient comes to me in order to understand his or her symptoms or behavior pattern, I need to know a lot about his or her childhood when we go to a country or ethnic group and so on, we need historians to tell us uh, what was there, uh, what their feeling state that don't, other people don't have. What are the designs on the canvas of the tent? Every canvas has its own designs and most of them are historical. And suddenly we realized, especially when we brought enemy representatives together, talking about, let's say, we are bringing Russians and Estonians. Can we imagine the 1990s? And suddenly, when second man in Duma, a representative of Russian team, feels embarrassed because Estonians say something bad about Russians. You know what he starts talking about? Mongol Tatar invasion. They go back to history. If you have Turks and Greeks together discussing a uh, Cyprus issue or Aegean issue, and if you are not doing official diplomatic discussion that you come with your papers and you just discuss it like a logical way, uh, as soon as uh, Greek friends become frustrated, they go back to 1453. Ottomans conquering Istanbul. So we started learning such things, and this is why I became, I'm uh, developing large group identity its own right, and now I, in this book that I wrote, 
makes a summary of my findings and we can discuss the concepts later on. And then after making summary, I uh, basically wanted to discuss racism. I talk about uh, my observation on racism and I came to America and I had fascinating observations because as soon as I finished my psychiatric training, I was sent to Terry Hospital. Imagine, this is early 1960, mental patients, African-American patients were not together with white American patients. So I worked in Perry Hospital, which was one of the big mental hospitals for only for African-Americans for two years. You can imagine my observations. So I wrote about that. And then I wrote in this book, why there are still, uh, you know, uh, fighting, I mean, human being, of course, fighting, we will be fighting the rest of our lives with each other. But why after Soviet Union collapse and uh, we were expecting more peaceful world and suddenly again, there's all these divisions. And um, so um, I uh, talked about uh, technology. Human mind is fascinating. I feel so stupid <laughs> when I talk to my physicist friends or chemist friends or whatever that our technology. Oh my God! I'm uh, at my age. I'm I'm using my computer and only I know how to get emails and emails. And my grandchildren push a button and boom, 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 boom. Technology. Uh, Fantastic. But at the same time, I think it induced confusion about large group identity. See, I'm not talking to you, by the way. <laughs> you push the button. I'm not coming to circle them all the way. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it induced a lot of anxiety, I think, without our knowing. It, it, it worked both ways. And even now, uh, after COVID-19, I started collecting data about COVID-19 uh, from I'm supervising uh, younger psychoanalysts in different countries, and I asked them to tell me what their patients are doing and so on. Uh, in the news, what you see, preoccupation with border psychology which is realistic, you have to protect your people. So I want to say it is realistic, but it became also quickly became connected with large group psychology. My border ends here, don't ever enter. Uh, Trump says it is Chinese virus and blah, blah. So people under this uh, technological world developed uh, it's involved with border psychology, political psychology. It became uh, oh, increased. Paradoxically, people 
like you and I. We make holes in this board. <laughs> if you and I are talking, I I I got a after COVID nineteen. I got invitation from Chinese uh, mental health workers. Supposedly eight thousand Chinese mental health workers. Listen to me. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? Border open, but same time politically it's closed. So I got involved in understanding how technology is affecting the borders and then there are robots and there are, uh, oh my God, all kinds of, of DNA. DNA, DNA, uh, I'm, let me explain an example. DNA is, um, I'm, I'm from Cyprus and you may know that Turks uh, and Greeks on my island uh, like crazy and horrible things happen on the island. Uh, the island got divided into north Turkish side, south Greek side. Turkish side is a Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus. Only one country recognizes it, Turkey. It is illegal country, <laughs> you know what I mean? But they have uh, elections and they have their presidents. They are very, very democratic, by the way. And uh, they have... Uh, uh, borders and so on. Um, and Turks used to think that they came from Central Asia. You know what I mean? When I was growing up, I, so my, my son, years ago, has made, you know, you, something and you get your DNA. <laughs> I'm one percent from Central Asia. <laughs> Most likely, I was Bosniak or who knows, maybe I was Greek or maybe I was Italian during the Ottoman times, my family and, you know, Ottomans conquered everything, who knows. And on the island, uh, both Greeks and Turks, I'm not scientifically reporting this because I was not involved in it, but what was happening last summer in Cyprus was that Cypriot Turks and Cypriot Greeks DNA are very close, closer than to their own countries. So this induces confusion, okay? So large group psychology in its own right means how this tense, many tense standing side by side, how do they relate to each other? And this is what I'm developing. And when all these uh, issues occurred and uh, technology became more and more, uh, people started asking a metaphorical question. And the question is, who are we now? And when who are we now becomes more um, difficult, and there's many, many realistic reasons from economy to politics and so on. What Eric Erickson had said, basic trust becomes threatened. And many people then becomes, become involved. They become involved in blind trust. Basic trust disappears a need for blind trust comes and they elect people who are 
In this century, they elect people who are more autocratic. My own feeling, among many things, why Donald Trump became elected was because of this rhythm. He constantly talked about borders, constantly. Invasion is coming. Immigrants are invading. Of course, because of terrorism and actually because of refugee crisis, everybody said, where is you know, my border? And he wanted to build walls, 8,000 miles of walls, all this stuff. And America is great and so on and became also America is white. And so many things are happening. And as you know, right now, what's happening in America after the uh, uh, murder. And hopefully it will end up uh, making major changes in uh, dealing with African-Americans in this country. Um, because what I saw at Terry Hospital that I write in this book uh, is happening in prisons. In some prisons, they have thousands of very young African-Americans and they need to find other ways to, to deal with them. America has been paying money to other countries after other countries have problems and so on. Maybe they should also have some money for their own quote-unquote subgroups, they subgroups, and involve African-American status in this country. So I, I wrote the book before COVID-19 uh, epidemic, but the uh, book was going to enter in April or May, and I had a chance to put an addendum, so I also put uh, a very brief chapter, uh, addendum describing the initial reactions to COVID-19 in the book. I don't have a copy of it yet, so I cannot show it to you. Uh, apparently it's published this week or last week, so in, my books are in the mail coming to me, so I cannot show it to anybody. But uh, already, you know, I'm uh, getting uh, 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 let me put this way. I'm, I'm 87 years old now and my my um, what is my biggest gift in life right now besides my grandchildren and so on? I get emails from young people. At least one or two perfect. Uh, from Central Asia to Brazil to America, maybe Sweden. <laughs> and these young people are going to universities and they use some of my concepts. This is my biggest gift. They, they write to me, they ask me questions, so on. So even they are not teaching this, uh, uh, what um, we found. 
people are reading it. Young people are reading it. Um, and um, I'm, I'm very happy because some of them may do more. Like there's one young person from Tennessee uh, who is just graduating and became so involved. I, I never met him. Young person, but he he's in from Tennessee and he is interviewing uh, because he's young. I think they all love him, so he's interviewing a lot of white supremacist leaders. My God, it would kill me if I tried to do that. And finding all kind of fascinating things. So um, uh, that is my biggest gift in life, that uh, to hear from young people. Um, that's wonderful. I actually, um, well, first of all, the political psychology, it's such a pioneering field. Even today, it's, even if you were just starting now, it's so pioneering because when yes. I was in psychoanalytic, especially from a psychoanalytic point of view, because yes. when I was in psychoanalytic training, which was until 2012, yes. um, they taught us not to talk about politics. It was unethical to comment on yes. it. And I always found that so bizarre because it's so important, I think, to have kind of a psychological or psychoanalytic lens when looking at yes. how the societies are acting interacting with one another exactly you're right uh it was a no-no to do those things and in this book also i write history of why this is so uh, i i write about uh, uh sigmund freud's uh, fight with sandor frenzy frenzy wanted to pay attention to external affairs and Freud had 18 patients and they were supposedly sexually assaulted and if you imagine that my god in Vienna everybody <laughs> doing something horrible things. and when he discovered you know uh, the importance of sexuality in human uh, nature, child development, then he said, oh, no, it, it was not real. They had fantasies, like Oedipus fantasies. So, and then Ferenzi said, but there are real, real sexual assaults too. And Freud, of course, agreed they're real. But because as a discoverer, he wanted to expand his ideas and his internal world. His followers followed him. So this frenzy Freud fight, uh, I didn't know it. And only last 10 years, I read a great deal. It, it lasted a couple of decades. It was a big thing in the beginning of psychoanalysis, which made it, no, no, don't touch it. And then Albert Einstein wrote to Freud and said, what about what's going on in the world? And Freud said, oh, no, no, we don't want to pay attention to external major issues. We just treat patients. And even in 19, uh, I forgot when, 1953 or so, um, Anna Freud together with Edith Weigert and I forgot, I wrote things. Um, and because they wanted to know how to expand 
psychoanalysis or just use psychoanalysis treating only neurotic people. And Anna Freud was only treating neurotic people, don't do anything else. Why do you spend years on treating borderlines and so on? They didn't even have a borderline name at the time. But because of, <laughs> again, external world, economy and so on, psychoanalysts had to treat our patients and so on, it expanded. And my tradition went on, it's not changing. I know that uh, Harriet Wolf, uh, who is going to be the, uh, is already elected to be the next uh, president of International Psychological Association. Uh, she is very interested in expanding and including uh, large group psychology. Not, I, I don't mean large group psychology that exists in psychoanalysis. Large group psychology is its own right. So this book, in a sense, I also thought of it as a initial textbook because political psychology that is being taught at universities is not psychoanalytic. It is like a superficial marketing. <laughs> so I'm, I'm hopeful and uh, depending on COVID-19 or so, uh, we may want to say more at the in the next international psychology meeting about this. And I developed something else that is, is helpful. And I will say that too, and then I'll stop unless you have more questions. Uh, after I retired, there is a Probably one of the last psychotic hospitals left in the world is Austin Ricks. I don't know if you heard of it. It's in Massachusetts. And the leader of this medical director of this uh, institution was a former quote unquote student of mine at Shapiro. And after I retired, he wanted me to go there. And I said, hey, uh, I'm prepared. So, but they gave me senior. Eric Erickson, I became senior Eric Erickson scholar for Austin Ricks. And I went to Austin Ricks Hospital for 10 years, every year, three months. And during this time, I developed what is called International Dialogue Initiative with the help of people at Austin Ricks. Uh, since I knew many people around the world, significant, important, influential people, I thought that we should bring people from different countries, including psychoanalysts, but also historians and also political scientists, also business people, also former diplomats. And I got in touch with Lord John Alderdice in England. Lord Alderdice, also a psychoanalyst, probably the other one besides me, who really spent not just off and on, but years in diplomacy, but he did it by becoming a diplomat himself or became a lord. He's in the House of Lords, of course. He knew people too. 
So we started to people from eight different countries. Since uh, now, I think we are in 15th year, we are meeting. Twice a year, once a year. Countries are, George Bush had said at the time, I shall not talk to your enemy. And we, we started this to say, I shall talk to your enemy. So we have people representing Iran, Israel, Palestine, Turkey, Russia, Germany, England, America. It's eight already? Yeah. So we get together and we hear their views and nobody misses this meeting. Can you imagine? And we are learning how each country, different countries have different perceptions of events and so on. So that uh, it came for me a, a, a symbol of the following sentence. If you, if you talk, you don't kill. And so uh, International Psychological Association through Harriet Wolf uh, already had met with IDI members. And we are hoping that IDI will go to next international psychology meetings and speak about uh, our findings and so on. And last sentence is that I wrote many books on these topics, but this last book, I thought of it also a kind of summary of my findings and it can be like a textbook. That's all I have to say, but I can talk forever <laughs> because it's <laughs> nice to talk to you. I just wanted to share with you, I edited a book on psychoanalysis and violence that came out last year. Okay. And I, I quoted you in the introduction. Um, yeah, I specifically quoted you in the introduction talking about... You're kidding me. Oh yeah. my God. How did you get to know me? <laughs> this paper that I quoted was from this book um, that you were in and wrote the intro to on fundamentalism and psychoanalysis. Oh, oh my, that's a, yeah, that's a, but that, yeah, yeah oh, I but see. But you're in it, and I, I quoted see. you specifically talking oh. about how fundamentalism promotes a doctrine of total loyalty to the leader and to the divine text, removing anxiety a member might have due to intrapsychic and interpersonal conflicts. Oh my gosh, yeah. You know, we should also mention that I read the film about you. Oh. I'm gonna I'm gonna interview Molly for uh, about it so that we'll have a whole episode like just that. about that film. There's a new film, also won uh, many many awards. But the, the, the maker of it, the Cypriot Turk, uh, this is about refugees. I, I also have a new, what is, whatever you call podcast that will be available even probably tomorrow. Ooh. And it will be on the IDI side. And as soon as it's available, then I will let you know so you can look at it. It is, uh, uh, it is um, about... Uh, Again, this borders and so on, that uh, idea in COVID-19, and I'll send it to you. Well. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you. I, I, I'm so happy to meet you, and I appreciate what you have done.
Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a discussion with pioneering psychoanalyst Dr. Vamik Volkan. His newest book, which was just released, is Large Group Psychology, Racism, Societal Divisions, Narcissistic Leaders, and Who We Are Now. Links to everything can be found in the text accompanying this episode. Rendering Unconscious is also a book. Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics, and Poetry. Available from Trapart Books, 2019. Please visit our publisher's website, www.trapart.net. You can support the podcast by visiting our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash v-a-n-e-s-s-a 2-3-c-a-r-l. Your support is greatly appreciated. Participate. We are in this together. We can. Blows with relish. Medium close-up of Severine. In profile. Gasping with control mechanisms of society. And breaking life and death. This world and the next creates a clearer, reflective image. Your prankish smile. Yes, hello. And then, silence. We can try and express. Severine. Stop, please stop. Tell them to let me go, because that's the spend so much time, time, space, and culture in this way. But now, first and the last, you were saying I, it's physical, imperfect. Constraints of the body, mind, and soul. Lady J, only a bridge between themselves, but also between gender and sexuality. Magical alchemy, and sometimes it's you, J, the creation. Become a part of it. 
in essence, tampering with forces best left out of reach to be viewed and revered, but not artifacts from another time and place. Foreign, together in an electric desert of endless walking along, gagged and held from behind by the two, shoulders naked, appear in back view in the foreground. Each of them has a heavy coachman's whip in his hand. Pierre walks off out of breath and a slight perspiration can be seen on his forehead. Severine simultaneously off. Pierre, I love you. Silence out from his lips. Camera pans right as he goes up to the footman and takes his whip away from him. To roll, we will keep, will be. Discussing mainstream listeners to think outside. As Briar Purge state, the practice of old body was so imperfect and was more spiritual and more of that we're certain. To the degree we can, and in that is an extraordinary act of devotion, the final expression of it.